Spirit. Well, I bring you greetings today from the 117th Diocesan Council of the Diocese of Texas, from our bishops and the 271 clergy of our diocese gathered and the countless other delegates. These past three days, your delegates, Deacon Joe and I, have been part of the councils of the church. No big controversies going around this time, other than a shift in focus that is primary to our very existence. But once again, we are charged to embrace the summary of the law, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul, and to love your neighbor as yourself. But this time around, the challenge was a bit more particular. We were challenged to, yes, worship each Sunday. Yes, be about that work, but also to go out. To go out and get to know eight of our neighbors. Not any chancy number, but eight. Clear, eight, count them. Do you know eight of your neighbors' names? That was the first step. There's a form even to fill out. What are those eight neighbors that live about you? To even go so far as to have a meal with them or three other acquaintances every week that you don't know that well. Yes, specific, quantifiable, get out, go, know your neighbors, go. We were reminded that we are a church on mission with good news. Good news not to be kept to ourselves, but to be shared with our neighbors. Vital is this, for without our doing this, Christ will not return till this has been completed that all the world knows and hears. And yes, there are people here in Texas City I have come across that don't even know that God himself loves them. So we have work to do, good people. It may be uncomfortable, but I would say, as hard as it is to move beyond our regular routines and those that we know, the promise is that it's out there, out there with those unknown folks, with our neighbors, that we're going to find the fresh encounters with Jesus Christ that will, in fact, enliven our faith and give us joy and expressible. In fact, you might even find out that you have wisdom you didn't know you had. I would dare to say that is true of most of you here. And like good food on a shelf, it's being wasted if it's not being shared. And that is what we are called to. So here it is, we have a gospel today that is a continuation of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount to his disciples, where he's teaching them about being a healthy community of faith. He's just reaffirmed in last week's readings, we heard the Beatitudes, the blessed are, and they were an unusual set of actions and people who are blessed by God. He's redefining the old law and saying something new. And he's reaffirmed that he has actually come to fulfill the law, not do away with it. 
He is the fulfillment of the promises from the very beginning of time to God, from God to God's people. Now, I have to share with you that these readings today made me cringe. Any time it goes to you're going to go to hell or this is hellish if you don't do this, it makes me twitchy. But it's helpful to remember that he is using a literary device called hyperbole. That he is calling together a community of grace. And he is getting to a point that it's not good enough to just not murder or just not commit adultery, but you must abstain from the sins that lead to these things, like anger and lust. He's using this form of hyperbole to emphasize his teachings. I'm wondering if it might have been after lunch and he was trying to wake up the disciples. very meaning of hyperbole is to be over the top and exaggeration. He wants them to hear that with his arrival, how people of faith look and follow the law must change. The community is paramount. And how we engage in relating to one another is paramount for reflecting God's love and glory and our even being able to be in the true fellowship that he means for us to be in. He's demonstrating the need to be in right relationship and consider the consequences of our actions, lest we cause another to sin. I would say that he's getting at the point of don't just go through the motions of making a sacrificial offering, but if you know a brother or sister out there who has an issue with you, leave your offering, go. Go to them and get things right, and then come back and offer your offering at the altar. Having been reconciled to your brother, then to God. You can see his emphasis is that we remain connected, not just going through the motions of worship as the Pharisees did, but that Our actions demonstrate our heart condition. In his warning about divorce, the Living Bible translation says that if you want to just get rid of your wife because you're tired of her, you could divorce her. But know that that's adultery. And that you'd be causing her to commit adultery as well if she were to remarry. And here I think he is urging them not just to cast their wives aside when they grow tired of them, but to remember that it is a covenant made with consequences and breaking them. And I would say this is the one of all of the different things that he talked about in today's text that gave me the most heartache. Because I know, I know we have many a member who have been divorced. I know in my own family of divorce. And I know the pain of that. And all I could hear initially was this uh, condemnation and harshness. And that troubled me. I didn't know how to share this and 
have it not be a further burden on top of already great pain. So it is that I had to go back and dig and then look at a bigger picture and to remember that this is a literary device used as a figure of speech rather than as literal. I believe it was meant to wake up his listeners that he was trying to make a point to call to right relationship with one another and God. The goodness and the good news of the gospel is sometimes not super clear in a text like this. And so for me, I have to go back to the very biggest picture of who God is. And that all of the gospel, all of the whole Bible is about a relationship between God and his people and his love for them. And that the very fact that everything changes when God sends his son. That he loves the world so much that he sent his only son to die for our transgressions. That not just you and I, but that the whole world might have eternal life. And here is my challenge. That when you hear scripture as condemning, when you hear... God as judge only and not as love, it's time to take a step back and remember the bigger picture. It's time to reread through a lens of love, not condemnation. I believe that part of how the enemy has fractured our, our very culture, our church, and even caused those who believe to flee from church is that he's used the scripture to condemn. And that is not its intention. For the scriptures read that there is no condemnation in Christ Jesus. So, if you hear condemnation when reading the scriptures, know this is not the full or true reading of the word. For God is love. His overarching message for us is and through his word is I love you period not I love you comma but there is nothing we can do to earn this love of God it is finished and final period it is unconditional and and through Jesus Christ love wins love reconnects the disconnected love heals the brokenhearted Love restores the dignity to the adulterous woman at the well and makes her whole. Love opens his arms on the hardwood of the cross that all the world might come within his saving embrace. So be of good cheer, dear people of St. George's. Keep short accounts. Forgive quickly. Love your wife or husband for sure. Give your offerings with joy in being reconciled to your brother or sister. Knowing full well that when you fail, God is there with an I love you, period. Ready to receive you into his arms of grace. 
So don't let that voice of condemnation bind or keep you from knowing God's unconditional love. Don't let it keep you out in the cold when he wants to give you warmth. That is nothing short of the scheme of the enemy. God loves you. Period. Amen.